Police using excessive force with unarmed individuals continues to garner national headlines thanks in part to a rise in cell phone video and police body cam footage that capture these scenes in real time. I'm Gavin Jackson, and this is De-Escalating Disability, a podcast about the intersectionality of autism, race, and policing. We break down the myths of autism spectrum disorder, hear from those affected, and meet those pushing for awareness and making change. Officers continue to come under scrutiny for use of force practices, especially when they involve unarmed individuals and people of color. Factor in a person who suffers from autism spectrum disorder, and the resulting breakdown of miscommunication and perceived threat can lead to troubling incidents like we've seen in the upstate, and even involve a lethal force, such as an incident weeks ago involving a Salt Lake City teenager after his mother called police. 911, what is your emergency? Hi, um, I need a, I believe it's called a CIT officer. What's going on? Uh, it's, it's every night we have to call. My son's out of, like, he needs to go to the hospital. And the the psychiatrist told me that if he got out of hand, like, he, he does it every night. And normally I try to, like, de-escalate it. And so my son has severe severe uh he does not like cops at all and um and they um and so that's why we need a mental health worker um it's super important i just my biggest fear is that um that i don't know i just don't want him to die and and i tell them that every time but like the times they've came he has been gone like he'll take off and go running when officers arrived to their neighborhood on the evening of september 4th the boy led police on a foot chase, and when he continued not to heed their commands, he was shot several times. This audio is from a police officer's body cam and may be disturbing to some listeners. Get on the ground! Get on the ground! On the ground now! On the ground! Hey! Show me your hands! Show me your hands! I don't feel good. That situation, one involving a 34-year-old Greenville man in 2014 and a teenager in Camden in 2019, did not result in death. But disability and criminal justice reform advocates say more needs to be done to raise awareness of autism spectrum disorder, or ASD as it's called, and prevent tragedy. South Carolina police officer training is already far below the national average and involves just a few hours on how to interact with people who have disabilities. Meanwhile, the prevalence of ASD has steadily increased for two decades. Overall, it takes 20 more hours of training to become a nail technician in the state than it does a police officer at the academy. The head of the State Criminal Justice Academy says it's sufficient. Then certainly you would uh, probably add more training. But again, we recently had our training reviewed and were told that this was very, very adequate that we have a good amount, uh, enough training right now for this topic for police to be more familiar. So certainly if we see the need arises, then certainly there would be uh, that opportunity to add more training. Tight training budgets funded by declining revenue from tickets and fees and already controversial practice means priorities need to be addressed during the limited time cadets train face-to-face -face in the program, while a third of the 12-week training is done remotely. A profession where split-second decisions can have life-or-death consequences 
mixed with a disease that lends itself to worry behavior that can raise suspicions in police, has one law professor asking whether police should be the first involved in such situations. We're talking about the police being adequately equipped to handle the situations. We should also ask, I think, the bigger question, should police be involved in these situations at all? On at least some of the occasions that we may expect officers to interact with individuals, if we had better public safety infrastructure, public health infrastructure in place, uh, if that individual or that family had received services or treatment or uh, training prior to the, the, the time when the family member, for example, called the police, then we might not have a police interaction at all. In the United States, at least one in four people killed by police suffers from serious differences in mental health. Some studies show that as many as 50% of people killed by American police forces have some type of registered disability, and untreated mental illness increases the chances of being killed by police by 16%. For years, police tactics have been a central focus for disability rights advocates, with the national call for police reform, the intersection of race and mental capacities being a catalyst for police violence has taken on pronounced importance. Police using excessive force on those in mental health crisis is not a new phenomenon. Autism advocates have long called for reforms in police awareness and actions when dealing with the autistic community. It's something parents of autistic children teach, but fear permeates. I see instances at home and even at the community when we're with him where he does assess things that that it could get him hurt by another person or even shot by the police because they, there's just so little understanding of you know how these kids deal with anxiety and um, situations where they feel threatened. Although I have to tell you, it seems sometimes like even if they do all the right things, um, tragedies like that I feel are going to continue to happen just because it's just not enough training and understanding. One Medical University of South Carolina researcher has completed research into how individuals with ASD interact with the state's criminal justice system with varying results. We're finding overrepresentation by people of color in all of our groups. So not just autism, but also intellectual disabilities, as well as the general population, which I think will come as a surprise to no one. Um, we're also finding that people with autism are less likely to be involved in the adult justice system than their peers. But once they're in that system, the criminal charges and the outcomes don't seem to be any different than the general population. So potentially, this could mean that there may be some diversion taking place even prior to that first arrest, um, because we don't have any details about what happened in, during that initial police encounter, um, but that once the person with autism is in the system, they don't seem to be getting much special consideration for their disability. Now, this four-part podcast series is not meant to scare you, but educate you and make you aware of the challenges those with disabilities, specifically ASD, face in an environment where police interactions, especially those with people of color, continue to highlight stark disparities. For those with a complex, rather invisible disability, as some commonly refer to ASD, a need for greater understanding during these attuned times is necessary, as are taking steps forward to dispel myths and prevent tragedy. This is Gavin Jackson, and in conjunction with the Diversity Leaders Initiative at Furman University, 
We explore the intersectionality of autism, race, and policing. We break down the myths of ASD, hear from those affected, and meet those pushing for awareness and making change. You too will come away more informed about ASD, which affects about 1 in 54 children in America. In our next episode, we meet Dr. Laura Carpenter of MUSC, who specializes in autism spectrum disorder. She helps us understand what ASD is, why its presentation in some can make for challenging situations, what parents need to know, and what her research into interactions between ASD individuals and the criminal justice system in South Carolina is showing. This podcast was produced with the help of Dr. John Belcher, Shannon Boberts, Cynthia Brown, Alan Coles, Casey Fields, Amy Holbert, and Jim Lehman, and in partnership with South Carolina Public Radio.